Mama, I got bad news, bad news. I've been rolling with some bad dudes, bad dudes. I've been trying to get a bag to, a bag to. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Ashes to Awesome podcast, Rising in Recovery. Our podcast provides light, hope, and understanding about addiction and mental health to those living within that life and the people who love them. This episode is brought to you by Together We Can, where Canada recovers from addiction. That's twcrecoverylife.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Weekend Ramble on the Ashes to Awesome podcast. I'm your host, Chuck LaFlange. And today joining me is, of course, my co-host, Dr. Lisa. How are you doing today, Lisa? I'm great, Chuck. Happy to be here. Ah, good stuff. I'm happy to have you back always. Um, and for anybody that's new tuning into the show, Lisa is a, psychi- is a psychiatrist um, who spent more than 20 years alongside her brother as a conscripted soldier in the battle against addiction and is now a co-host on the show for, well... As long as the weekend ramble's been around, I think. So uh, we're, we're pretty fortunate to have her on. Uh, next up, I have Attica J, who you might remember if you were paying attention to uh, an episode just recently, in episode 151. Attica works in harm reduction out in Vancouver and um, has a nonprofit doing the same thing out in the Vancouver area. And uh, welcome back to the show, Attica. How are you doing? Hi, good. Thank you for having me back. Again, thanks for coming on. And Devin, for his fourth appearance on the show, um, episodes 82 and 85 were a kind of a stretched out two-part episode and episode 104 where he had to come back on and kind of qualify some of the things that might have been mistakenly uh, <laughs> taken yeah. taken out of context yeah, yeah. from uh, from the first episodes there. So how are you doing today, Evan? Welcome back. I'm doing well, thank you. Yeah, it's good Great to see stuff. you. Good stuff, good stuff. So I wanted today, and this is something I wanted to do for quite a while actually, and uh, I got sparked into it by watching a documentary um, uh, called uh, Vancouver is Dying. I think I, do I get the name right on that one? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, and it, it was definitely a slanted view um, to the good or the bad, whatever, but it was, it was definitely a biased view about kind of the, the new look of harm reduction and, and, and how it's affecting that city. Um, and again, I, I don't pick a side on that, but it really made me think about these two opposing views on harm reduction. And, well, I just thought I'd have you guys in for a conversation about it. So, uh, of course, you both have dedicated your lives to recovery, right, in, in some aspect or whatever. And, and you both, both Attica and Devin, you put your money where your mouth is, really, at the end of the day, right? Like, you are. So, it's obviously coming from a place of love of people and all that jazz, but you have some different opinions on it. And I really wanted to take a look at those and, and see, just have an open conversation. So, um, yeah. Where to start from here? You know what? I'm going to lean on Lisa here for this one because I know your yeah. your views on harm reduction have kind of evolved over time, much like mine have, right? So, what what's where are you at with the whole thing? Yeah. So first off, like you said when you were just kind of introducing this topic, right? That these are these opposing views. Um, I don't think they're opposing. Um, okay. I think there's I think there's a place for both. Um, I, I used to be, yes, like very anti-harm reduction. I'm talking like if you go back, you know, 23 years ago or whatever it was, um, I think it came a little bit from just a naive, ignorant place. Um, that was very early in my brother's journey and 
the people who were supporting him were very much um, abstinence focused um, individuals. And for me, and I think I've described this before, but I just, I needed there to be an answer to make my brother better. And so yep. when they told me that was the answer, I was like, I'm done. That's the answer. Because the minute you bring gray into it, yep. there is a lot of uncertainty and a lot of unknown and I, I couldn't tolerate it. And so I was very opposed to it because they were opposed to it. Um, it shifted for me when I was, gosh, what year would this have been? Probably around 2010. So I had just started medical school okay. and um, I was working with some physicians that worked in a methadone program yeah. and they were prescribing methadone and these patients would come in to get their methadone and I'd get to know them. And I was like, okay, you're married, you're raising your children, you're working full time. Um, and it started to make me realize that maybe this is not an all bad thing for everybody. So, okay. yeah, so I, I just, I don't think they're opposing. I think there's a place for both. I am pro harm reduction in some ways, and I'm also very pro abstinence focused mandated treatment as well. So, <laughs> so yeah, you're, you definitely are I'll both sides of that coin. There. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Um, well, you said mandated treatment, so I guess we've got to talk about that now, don't we? Um, <laughs> we should probably do it now because you never know down the road. That was funny for me. And being in Alberta here, where the whole landscape is about to change in a massive way that way, what I found out yesterday um, from from a guest that um, I'll be recording with later on today, actually, somebody you know, Devin, Amanda Stoller. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great. Um, so she's going to come on. She can only talk about her story at this point. Because there's still, yeah. like, they haven't really released the plans yet. So anything we think we know about what's about to happen in Alberta, we don't. Right? Yeah. Like, there's, there's there's some things I think that are kind of obvious, but we don't know what's about to happen. And I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to the release. Whether or not I like the results or not, we'll, we will see, right? But, um, mm -hmm. wow. Okay, mandated treatment. <laughs> Let's start with you, Attica. What are your thoughts on that? Um, so yeah, my position was basically into mandated treatment because I'm from Indonesia and where it's really taking it to a whole other level of mandated treatment. I mean, we have death penalty introduced in 2009. So there's not only mandated, mandated treatment, but imprisonment, death penalty, even for possession. So like strong position on war on drugs yeah. and um i would say that anecdotally i've been seeing more crimes ever since 2009 yeah. um in Indonesia, related, do you mean? yeah okay okay and yep. because it's just a little bit different like i wasn't in canada yet but yeah, of course yep. kind of changed me it's basically um my undergraduate thesis on uh, harm reduction and basically my experience in the downtown east side first when okay. fentanyl was new so okay, okay. um mandated treatment i'm against the mandated treatment um so it's not so that i don't support people who recover i definitely support that decision and um I think there should be a lot more beds available and at the same time, harm reduction, just kind of like a safety safety net when someone's relapsed because we have a mandated treatment and then they're going to come out, right? Sooner yeah. or later, they will be out and yeah. Yeah. oftentimes they escape. 
So um, what do they do when they escape? It's usually either they score or if they're like free to go, they they may score again. And yeah. harm reduction is sort of like a safety net just to kind of make sure that they're that they're alive for for the for their I, next attempt to sobriety. So. I, I like that you said safety net. I think that if you put harm reduction in, in those terms, it certainly changes things. Do you, so in your opinion, Attica, is there no place for mandated treatment? Like is it, and of course, looking at somewhere like Indonesia, I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near that, nor are we on any sort of slippery slope, or I, I don't think we would ever get to anything close to that. But um, as a whole, like, is there, is there no place for mandated treatment in, in your mind or? Gosh, it's kind of hard to justify mandate treatment. Okay, okay. Um, and I, I in terms put of the... illicit drugs or alcohol, yeah. even. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. And I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm just trying to get a sense of. So, yeah, yeah, no. Um, rather than say, Devin, what are your thoughts on it? I will say there was. I think it bridges over nicely. Um, you guys are both coming from a place of caring about people, right? So, and I know your thoughts, and, and I'm, I'm not going to speak to them. <sighs> Yeah, well, just go to it, right? <laughs> we'll just ask yeah. you. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, what are your I thoughts mean, on it, right? Yeah. It is it is like a gray area and it's a sticky situation because again, like who is gonna make the decision on who's gonna mandate that person to treatment? But I do really believe that anytime there's crimes involved, it should mm -hmm. be. It, it you should have again an option between jail or treatment. And if you leave treatment, you go to jail. Because again most addicts lack accountability so all we're doing you know with harm reduction and and this type of stuff is like allowing these things to happen and brushing it off it's like well he's just an addict he's not a criminal it's like yes but he committed crime so maybe let's mandate him to treatment instead of sentencing him to jail um with that you, we would need stiffer like prison sentences obviously which and i'm not i'm not for but i yeah. am for Again, to a degree, mandated treatment. And I and speaking as a parent, you know, Brooklyn, my daughter who's twenty-two, if she was addicted to fentanyl, I would mm. mandate the shit into her to treatment fifty <laughs> times. I don't give a shit. Of yeah, I would. I don't I don't care. Yeah. yeah. Because of it's my daughter. And and I would rather I don't care if she hated me for it, I don't care anything. I would rather just do that as many times as it took mm -hmm. and force her to be into treatment as many times as it took, opposed so to is it the, is it mandated treatment though if if you have an option jail mm -hmm. or well, that's not mandated well, treatment always, right like, that's treatment, coerced you'll always but, you know. you'll always have an option in treatment to leave nowhere yeah. in, no, no, in I, that's Canada what I mean, or North that's, America yeah that's not what I mean I mean the jail or right like if I have options yeah. now that's not that's not mandated that's coerced well well it is mandated, you still you still right? have to make a decision yes, so to a degree yeah. it is still mandated yeah. like you so you don't have the we... option of not going somewhere you have yeah. an, and again, yeah. I think if you, if again, this only applies when there's crimes involved. Yeah, and, and that's specifically again, what we're on now. People you, accountable yeah. is is really important, obviously, right? So, yeah. I mean, that's like a major pillar of of being in recovery and being clean and sober is holding yourself accountable, holding Absolutely. others accountable. Uh, so, uh, so, so most <laughs> suffering addicts lack that. So, um, again, yeah. you know, sorry, just one sec. And so, <laughs> you know. If, if, again, try sending somebody to treatment and, and if they, you know, if they leave treatment, then they should go to jail because at the end of the day, they still committed crimes. That's like, true. That's true. So, uh, 
I'll cut you off there, Devin. Before you go, Attica, and I know you got something you want to add yeah. to that. Lisa, you were about to jump in with something, and uh, I believe we cut you off. So I want to give you your opportunity to, to, to speak to it. Um, I think I was just going to interject that for me, it goes even a step beyond what Devin's talking about. I, yeah. I'm, I would be very content with there not being an option. You're going to treatment. Um, Like that's where I stand on mandated treatment. Now, I don't think that everybody suffering with addiction should be mandated into treatment, just like Mm -hmm. I don't think everybody who has schizophrenia should be mandated to live on a psychiatric unit. But there are cases, and I do this every single day. I assess patients every day, and I say, you know what? You're okay to leave. And I assess patients other days and go, I don't think you're safe to leave. You're going to stay. And that is like something that every psychiatrist in this country emergency physicians. I mean, emergency docs are often the first people to certify a patient before they consult us to come in. And so we do this all the time. Why, why in 2023, we seem to believe that addiction is this unique rare disease where we don't trust ourselves to do the same things that we have been doing for years and years and years around mental illness is beyond me. So I, like I said, not everybody with addiction. I don't think we pick up a, a van and go around and scoop them all up and lock them, lock them in the mandated <laughs> treatment somewhere. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that. But I do think that people with addiction, that, that there are circumstances where I don't think they should have the option of treatment or jail. They should be made to go to treatment. Fair enough. Um, fair enough. And well, you and really opened like my eyes. Talk- well, hold on, Devin, Devin, I'll get you. Yeah. Oh, wait, because we're going to give Attica her shot yet here, too. So <laughs> my job to moderate yeah, all this. Right? But, um, and Lisa, you really, you completely changed my mindset when you put it in those terms the first time, yeah. right? About comparing it to schizophrenia or something else. Completely. Because when I heard mandated treatment in Alberta, this program was about to be the anti-mandated treatment show, right? Like I was so fucking, <laughs> I was riled right up, right? And then when you said that, those, those, that exact thing completely changed me, right? So, and, I, and I know there, I want to let Attica speak too, but I want yeah. to add one thing. I was thinking about this this morning because I knew we were going to talk about this. I've been working in psychiatry going on 11 years. I can yep. think of three individuals that I was involved in their care where they were forced into hospital for mental illness, where by the end of their stay, by the time of their discharge, they were still kind of bitter and pissed off about the process. Three. Okay. Okay. By far the majority of people by the time they are leaving they are thanking us for what we did and okay. so that yeah. that is anecdotal even coming from you but but that's still pretty powerful numbers right so okay Attica, go ahead uh, what you, what you got yeah yeah um pretty interesting topic um i would be really interested to know like a randomized trial on this um has, i mean there's been, like So actually, there's studies that that support and studies that don't. But what's interesting, and actually Rob Tangay, who's a psychiatrist here in Calgary, um, who I know that you're hoping to get on one day, he's actually just written a paper, co-authored a paper that's not been published yet. But when it comes out, I feel like we should do one and we should get him on here. And what it's doing is it's actually looking at all the studies around mandated treatment um, to determine whether it is or is not. And, And I can also tell you that Rob is also involved in some of the stuff that's going around going on in Alberta around mandating treatment. Um, What he has shared with me is that, yes, there are studies that say it works and there are studies that say it doesn't. However, the studies that say it doesn't work are studies where patients with addiction were basically just locked away. 
they were just contained. And that's not treatment. That's that's it. That's not treatment. The studies where it showed it did work um, were studies where patients were mandated into treatment. They were contained. And I don't know if the contained is the right word, but they couldn't leave. Um, But they were provided treatment, trauma therapy, psychiatric assessments, medications, whatever it was they needed. In those cases, it, it worked. Right. So, so and I guess we'll wait for the paper to come out to, to really yeah. jump on that, right? Because you've got to be mindful of that. But yeah. Um, Attica, what were you saying? Sorry to, to cut you off too. Yeah. There's this really interesting study, um, a randomized trial. And if I'm not mistaken, it's from 2016, but it, it, it involves something like 800 uh, participants, uh, 818 with 410 and 408 intervention and control arms respectively and they have like a six sessions of basically harm reduction intervention and this is completely like voluntary and they've been reduced rate of risky behaviors and crimes and things like that related to sex workers okay so okay. that's a large number and um Basically, but that I, supports harm reduction, right? And I, I, I support harm reduction. I think yeah. harm reduction works. It, yeah. But it's voluntary. So they don't, you know, yeah. they, they can choose, right? And uh, what kind of interests me is basically thinking about if we can put them in jail thinking that we can charge them with crime, but we don't trust their agency at the same time, their self-determination. It's a little bit, that, that's it's that's a pretty, bit yeah, that, that's a good conflicting. argument. That that is, you're right. But uh, somebody commits a crime, they you have to go. They're going to go to jail, right? They they have to have the option anyway, right? I mean, it, well, yeah, they have the option like to go a, to treatment. Yeah, right. Go ahead. Debbie. An alcoholic can't drive, get in a car accident, and then be let off because he's an alcoholic. No. So why would no. why would an addict doing property crimes why why should he be let off? You know, why, why right. does he get a free pass? So um, I just want to take a quick minute and uh, let you know about a new sponsor of ours, Rosecrest Recovery Services. You might remember Rich Johnson from an episode just recently about interventions, and he was the interventionist, of course, right? So he's come on as a sponsor, and they don't just do interventions. They do family case management, treatment placement. Um, uh, treatment placement is it's a free courtesy service, and uh, reaching out is a free and completely confidential. So give them a shout, guys. You can reach them at 615 484 8792 or email at info at com. Remember, they lead men and women to a life of recovery. Thanks for listening. Now back to the show. Um, yeah. But like going back to what, what Lisa was saying too, like again, mandated treatment, super sticky situation, but I agree with Lisa because not all schizophrenic people need to be in the hospital. Not all addicts need to be forced into treatment, but Again, when people are in like the depths of their addiction, you're asking like an insane person to make like a sane, logical decision to get help. I was about to They're find that real to. from you, actually. Yeah, I was, so I was just about to find that real. You need to play remove it, so. them away from the chaos <laughs> and the addiction, yeah. and you know, treat their trauma so that they can, you know, if if after four, five, six months, a year, they leave and decide, well, I'm going to go use drugs again. Well, at least we know they're making their own sane decision to go do that. Because yeah. when you're in the depth of it, you're just going to do it, and and that's yeah. just what it is. Right? And it, when we so, spoke about I that, know, sorry, I, I know for me, like I've forced people into treatment, and I've seen people 
I've taken people fresh out of jail into treatment who didn't want to be there. And somewhere along the road, they just get it. And they do want yeah. to change their lives. And, you know, the interventions, like, people, like, absolutely hated it. Hated going to treatment. But somewhere along the road, their sanity came back. And they were like, oh, I do have an option at a better life. I'm going to have to work at it. Yeah. But it is possible. It's no longer an impossible feat. Like, if you're yeah. on the downtown east side, the, the, the thought process around getting clean is, is, is next to impossible. You yeah, know, but if you're does, removed yeah. from that for a certain amount of time, at least you can end, like Lisa said, like, you're not locked away. You're, you're, you know, you're working on your trauma. You're, you know, you're be yeah. becoming a part of a community. You know, again, if they leave after that and they, they decide to relapse, which I mean, relapse is a part of a lot of people's story. That was them making a decision. And we as a society did everything we can to give them the option to work their way out of it. And you're right. And I, I was saying, I was about to pull up the reel of you saying a lot of what you just said. So you, thank you for not <laughs> making me pull it up and make that awkward yeah. uh, while I search for it. But, uh, and, and the same thing I said at the end of that, uh, beginning of that reel was, if you're dope sick, that's, you've got two choices in front of you, right? One that's going to make you not <laughs> dope sick and one that's going to make you continue to be dope sick. You're going to pick not be dope sick every yeah, single time. It's not going to be about going to treatment. It's not going to be about uh, going to a meeting or going to your local harm reduction. It's going to be, uh, steal that fucking purse or whatever it has to be, right? Because I just don't want to be dope to sick, right? Yeah, you, know, exactly. you know, and and so that part, I, I have a real soft spot for people that are dope sick. Not in that. Yeah, well, I'm empathetic towards yeah. them, right? The, the first time I was yeah. ever exposed to fentanyl, there was a girl screaming and crying and rolling around in paint in a motel room. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah. What's going on? I don't understand, right? So it, I and it, to me, that's just a human being suffering, and I don't really care what choices got you there. Now you now that sucks, right? So yeah, um, it does suck. Nobody's going to do that voluntarily, right? But the thing so, is, is the people that I've worked with that have have kicked opiates and fentanyl with no meds, no anything else, yeah, their success rate is like ninety percent, like is nine out of the ten okay, guys. Anecdotally, maybe right? not, maybe not yeah. that high, but like it is yeah. high because I've, I've we don't suggest people come off of fentanyl with nothing ever but there are guys that want to do it and when they do it their chances of success are through the roof they just okay. are and that's not that's not yeah. a study that's like that's what i've seen over the years and years of fair doing enough this. fair enough yeah i think um, that probably speaks to motivation right if you're willing to go come off opiates and you're declining things like suboxone and methadone it's like i just feel like you're at a point where you're like i am done because i think yeah. the majority yeah. of people yeah. do want something so i think determination yeah. Though, well, right? Right. Oh. yeah totally and, <laughs> and it's that so yeah. that's well and it's the fear of ever going through it again like your fear yeah. of doing yeah. that again is so strong which yeah it's a driver but you don't right? have that so. you don't have that fear when you have you know countless amounts of safe supply and harm reduction goods so and i, I and don't get me wrong when i say this i i i support harm reduction just so we're clear i just don't yeah. think it's the answer but i do it's a major part of, of what we need to do. I think treatment and harm reduction has to go hand in hand. And I'm not saying mandated treatment. I, I mean, like, determinants of health. Like, we're, we're yeah. Yeah. these people usually have a lot of trauma, like, especially in the downtown east side. I have a lot of empathy. Oh, um, I can imagine. Yeah. So yeah. they have a lot of severe trauma, like, mm -hmm. just complex yeah. trauma. And at the same time, I think we need to offer a bunch more all these trauma-informed treatments, but at yes. the same time, like available beds, but at the same Absolutely. time, harm reduction, just to kind of like 
make sure that you don't die if if yeah. in the case totally. you relapse, you know. Honestly, because they, they really keep on trying point. to kind of so, be sober. Because yeah. um, it's not and, nice to kind of like shoot up every hour. Like no yeah, one yeah. likes that. I've yeah, yeah, never yeah. seen anyone yeah. who actually likes fentanyl. Like no yeah. one. So they just like you know. The, I want to so argue about, like, that. I, I kind of want to argue that <laughs> point because most people I know like fentanyl, but um, but I agree with you. I agree with everything you're saying. That safety net is so important. It is. It's extremely important to have. And on top of that, you know, listening to your episode, you're super amazing and you do a lot of really good work. So even though I'm going to probably argue with you a little bit, I do think what you're doing is really, really amazing. And there should be more people like you. Ah, mm-hmm. oh, there you go. So and, and again, the mad data treatment is a small part of harm reduction, right? It's one of the, yeah. it's, it's just one of the things to talk about. And, and to be honest, I was going to kind of build up to that because I knew it was going to be kind of a passionate subject, but I opened it with it. So, you know, damn my, pro- damn my program yeah. plans, right? But, but I think <laughs> it's easy to like put these things head to head. And I like, I really, I feel like that a lot of good discussion is lost when it becomes a head to head thing. Yeah. Because yes. to me, like I said, it's not one or the other. Like we've said, we always say this on the show. There's no one answer to this problem and we need all of it. We need more harm reduction. We need more Atticas in the world. We need, I think we need mandated treatment. I think we need more beds in residential treatment programs. I think like we need more of everything. And it really like I'm pro all of this stuff because all of it helps different people at different stages where they're at and yeah, so I just think like the the more that it becomes a this or that, I, I think that the conversation gets lost because I, yeah, I really yeah, don't totally. think it's one or the well other. Said. Really well said, Lisa. Um, you're you're a very good bridge between all of this. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe more level headed too. Me, I, I like to watch a good fight and I like to be a part of a good uh, fight. Yeah. And you know, so it's easy for me. And hey, let's be honest, I own the Coliseum, right? So if you guys want to fight, you can have at it. I'm yeah. kidding. <laughs> um I was very, very careful in who I picked for this conversation. And as I said to you both, right? So that it can't be, it, it can't get into a heated place, right? Because yeah. because you're right, Lisa. You're very, very right. There, there has to be some, you know, respecting of other people's opinions. Because I don't want it to turn into that. I want this to be a conversation about mm-hmm. all the things and, and, and how we can just do mm-hmm. better, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And to me, to me, Chuck, it's not even about respecting opinions. It's about the fact yeah. that it's all needed. Right. It's not like I don't care whose opinion it is. And I'm not trying to say what I'm saying because I'm trying to be respectful of anybody. I just literally think we need more of all of these things because for different people, these different things are what they need. Fair enough. You know, I think with um, people from the downtown east side, I would say that um, I've seen some people who are who are from Forest Street men who enjoyed it. Some people who are in Forest Street men and they they escaped. Uh, And when they escaped, that's during the, the 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 training of responding to overdoses i was trained to really look out for those people the ones that just escaped jail or mandated treatment as soon as they're out yeah. they're probably going to yeah. overdose but now that like, said Attica, how many people that have gone through oat or or whatever are are, are gone through whatever that are that are recovered are you dealing with day to day you're not right so it's it's conversation and I, when somebody says to me like a fentanyl user says to me oh methadone doesn't work because of this and this and this well, how many sober people do you hang out with you're literally only talking yeah. to people that it didn't work for right yeah. like mm-hmm. how many people did it work for that you don't talk to right so because you're not sober you're not seeing those people and in your situation you are surrounded in in people that are still using so and, and not to say that you don't have 
many valuable people in your life that are, that are that are recovered and, and contribute to what you know. But the vast majority of what you're exposed to would be people that that aren't sober. So how would they know, right? Or or you well, know what I mean? and, because and, I'm like do, responding to overdoses, so I actually yeah. am yeah. serving people who use drugs. Oh, I know, no, without a doubt. I'm yeah. just saying that, but it's kind of a skewed view, only because mm. they're the people that are, you know. Oh, the worst of it. Like, well, it, it's it's tough too because the downtown east side makes up for like you know ten percent of the addicted population or whatever, or maybe twenty percent. It's a small. In, it's eighty percent of the deaths in Canada happen there, right? Yeah, like, but I mean that's yeah. where the heaviest drug use is, and, yeah, and yeah, the majority yeah. the majority of people are dying of overdose yeah. are ones who live in basement suites, live at you know live in a house or have a car because they're the ones using it alone. You know, there's not, yeah, there's not people around in our camp. Yeah. So, and again, yeah, yeah. when we have these conversations, yeah, it always, the perspective always gets pointed at the downtown East side. But again, that's, that's such a small percentage of the addicted population. It really that's is. true. That's true. Yeah. They, well, those yeah. that are living alone in the shelters and SROs, um, that's why I like to just tweet whenever I'm on the National Overdose Response Service when I'm on, because it's like, seriously, like I put it on the email footer. Like, if you want to use alone, like, don't. Like, seriously, you need to call someone who knows how to spot you because I want you that's to talk basically about, like Devin gonna, said. Gonna, like, it, I'm going to interrupt like you so that I. Yeah. I'm going to interrupt you so that I can get you to continue on with that. Before we do anything else, I want you to talk about the Norse program, please. I think it's absolutely incredible. And a lot of people listening to the show would never have even heard about the idea, let alone this actual program. And and you're a part of it. I'd, I'd really like you to speak to that before we move forward, if we could, please. Oh, yeah. that's so great. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so uh, National Overdose Response Service is basically like a helpline, like a hotline for people who need a bunch of help. So if they need to, hey, I want... I'm so done with this shit. I want to go to treatment. You can call us. Oh, I don't, I, I'm seeing an overdose. I don't know what to do. You can call us. I want to use a loan. You can call us. Like, you can call us for pretty much anything like that. There is a crisis as well. So, yeah, I got calls like, for instance, like, um, oh, hey, I want to use cocaine or I want to use Benadryl. Oh, I want to use uh, Fent or... Or if they're on Dilaudid, like they can, they can always um, ask us to spot them. And I basically would spot them for about 30, 40 minutes and then make a conversation, you know, oh, how are you doing? What was your day like? And things like that. And we're basically non-judgmental. You're ready when you're ready. So um, basically our job is just to make sure that they are okay and they're alive. And if they, and we have safety plan basically according to the person's needs. So for instance, someone has like a safety plan, like, oh, I want like my mom to get my Narcan and I unlock the door and we're going to like, okay, um, we only dispatch if they are not responding. So if I yell out their name, yell out their code and they're not responding, then I'm going to dispatch uh, emergency uh, services. But okay. Or their plan, right? Yeah. Or their, because they're or their to have plan. They usually have a good plan. plan. So yeah. if there's yeah. like the plan that I'm kind of like icky about that I'm, worried about then i'm going to like hey would you be okay if i if i tell you to unlock the door and put the narcan here instead of there or like oh can you put yeah. the dogs away so that if there's an emergency you know people from ambulance first responders they, yeah. they will yeah. not get bit by your pit bull you know so yeah but it's uh, usually yeah 
just that that is wonderful. I, there's been a couple programs like that. And it's that, free. But, and it's free. So right. Yeah. Um, and what is the phone number or um, website that you got something else for us? I'll put in the show notes, of course, but for anybody listening. Of course. Um, so, yeah, basically all the calls that uh, we got will be um, forwarded to me or any other uh, responders at that time. So it's 888. Whew, that's a lot of eight. That's 888-688-6677. <laughs> Okay, and yeah. again, we'll put that in the show notes most certainly, right? <laughs> and that's yeah. and that's just in Canada, though. So there's another line for the U.S. And in Canada, they support French and English. So sometimes course, I respond yeah. in French, too. But, yeah. So is there a website, too, then? Yep. Yeah. Yep. I think it's called norse.ca. Let me check. Probably. I'm supposed to know this. Yeah, you are. I, kind of, I could have checked what you were talking if I know. Yeah, yeah. norse.ca, <laughs> right. <laughs> And ORS.ca. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> so I, I think that's a wonderful thing. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd actually like to talk to them more about getting a little bit more involved and helping uh, find some volunteers and the like, right? So yeah. I have one other friend that's a part of that. I just learned this yesterday that, that she volunteers for, for Norris as well. So I thought, oh, that was pretty cool. So yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, the volunteers there are so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well trained. Yeah. Yeah. Um, where to go from here? See, I. The pinnacle can of all I, this is supposed to be hard. Can I her. interject? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, just something that came up earlier. So I feel like another thing about the downtown east side, and so my most recent trip out to visit my brother, I actually took my daughter and my niece to the aquarium. And I mean, I don't know my way around Vancouver at all, right? So I like stick it in the map to get back to the house. And where does it take me? It takes me the entire length of Hastings, right? <laughs> West Hastings, East Hastings. I have never <laughs> seen anything like that in my life. Terrifying, isn't like it? Like I, right? yeah. I, I wouldn't say terrifying. I would say devastating. Like I just like yeah. it was like heartbreaking to me to drive down that street. Like, uh, it just yeah, terrible. Mm -hmm. But the other mm -hmm. thing about folks that live there, and I mean, For, again, I don't feel like in Calgary continue, we have it that bad. Maybe we should just tell because most of our listeners are in the United <laughs> States, right? Right. When we say East Hastings, what do we mean exactly? Do you want to describe what you saw there so that people have some context? So, right. I mean, it's an area in Vancouver. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it's one of the worst, um, you know, drug abusing areas in North America. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think San Fran's up there as well. And I, I suspect it's climate related, right? Like it's an easier place to live on the streets than in a lot of the rest of Canada. Yeah. Um, but driving down that road for blocks upon blocks it was just um i want to describe them as lost lost souls laying in in slumps on the ground with garbage bags and dirty clothing and dirty blankets using openly on the streets um and it was just the sheer magnitude of it that got me like i mean we see that we see some of that in calgary but the the blocks upon like I was just driving and I was like when does this stop and it was just so many people I mean like there's a community to it like there most of them are sitting in groups of of people but it was just the magnitude of it was just so devastating um but I feel like individuals in that area like one of the things I often wonder and again like working in my job I do have these conversations with you know, similar individuals. Um, 
I think a big fear around trying to do something other than harm reduction is they don't see how they can get there. They're like, okay, so I'm going to go get sober, but I haven't had an ID in 10 years. I have no support system. When I get out of treatment, I have no money. So am I going to come back and sleep on the street next to the guy who's still using? Um, I can't afford to go to private treatment. In Canada, public treatment sometimes has like a six-month wait list to get into. And when I do go, they're going to help me for 30 days. 30 days is not going to fix my problems. So- On August 17th and 18th, the Mission Community Services Society is going to be holding a fundraiser called the 24-Hour Homeless Fundraiser. Ten participants will go unhoused for an immersive experience being homeless as a way to raise awareness and funds for Mission's new community medical mobile unit, the MMU. I talked to Nate at MCSS about this fundraiser, and here's what he had to say. So we send them out and say, well, go find a job. Well, without ID, how are you going to get hired? You You have a resume, but you have no way to get your resume right now, so I don't know what you're going to do, but you still got to go look for work. You've got to find an income. Talk to income assistance. Ask them how you get income assistance when you don't have ID. Right? And so people start to recognize, like, it's not as simple as get a job. It's really not. I, I have I have some resources not some resources I have some family that was helping me out and the frustration almost broke me when I came in from active addiction. So yeah. that's what the fundraiser is for is to keep that medical mobile unit on the road. But it's so, also for people to have a, a real in-depth look at homelessness and just yeah. see how how tough that struggle is when you're trying to get out of it. So I feel like for individuals on the downtown east side, I think that one of the appeals to harm reduction is they're like, okay, well, this will hopefully help keep me alive. And the other stuff is not an option for me. Like, I I don't believe that the other things are attainable or feasible. And it's just not it's not going to work for me. Like, I think if we could go and say, look, what if we could give you the treatment? What if we could say, you know, you can have three months or 12 months of treatment. We're going to have trauma therapists. We're going to have, you know, um, addiction physicians. We're going to have psychiatrists. We're going to have psychotherapists. We are going to help you. And when you get out, we're going to have social workers who make sure that you have ID and you have housing and you have income. And we're going to help you. How many of those people would say, sign me up? I think a lot more people would take that if they believed the million issues they see in front of them would be addressed by somebody. Wow. Um, yeah. So with the downtown east side, yeah, it's more so like Skid Row. Um, yeah. And um, I help people who are actually over there that you went, say, uh, that you drove by and just like, this is like block after block. After. Those are actually where I. Yeah, this I, is your daily, you're in and out, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I okay. actually yeah, go yeah. into the alleys and I would say that um, these people actually really protect me. A yeah. lot of time. Yeah, and I believe you. I, I've been, I've been homeless before. So, um, not due, not due to drugs, uh, but basically because I'm first generation immigrant. But um, they they protect me a lot, and I think there's a, a a way that is more culturally sensitive into uh, addressing uh, the problem of addiction. So there is. There's a huge population of native indigenous folks um, and there's like this um, and I think there is a, a space for us to kind of explore the culture and um, kind of 
being more culturally sensitive into it because there's a lot of intergenerational trauma, like you said. And yeah, um, in terms of determinants of health as well, I really like that point because they come out and then what, you know? And like before then, I, I've, 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 I've seen a lot of people like, dealers I, I basically know like who are the dealers over there would, and yeah, what yeah, they yeah. sell okay yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and um but you know okay so they don't have like a legitimate check and when they come out from treatment what are they gonna do you know like yeah. you know it's kind of like need like a social worker a case worker like you said yeah. and just like make it really really approachable just like make like I said, more beds, but also more harm reduction and more social workers, more caseworkers and things I have like to, that. I have to jump in yeah, with something like, here now. So, so real quickly, um, just because this is a, an appropriate place to say it. Um, the Mission Community Services Society uh, next weekend or next Thursday, Thursday to Friday, is doing a fundraiser where they take 10 people uh, to live as homeless for 24 hours. And they take away their ID, their phone, their everything. And say, now go figure it out, right? And so, so you were just speaking to this, and and, and I know, um, and, and I'm trying to help get the word out about this fundraiser, right? So, and actually, what we're gonna do is those ten people. I'm going to do a five minute interview with each of them before they go, and then a five minute interview afterwards to get what they're, they're taking from their experience, so that I can help them for for next year. You know, they'll have something to draw people in. But you are so right. For me, I'm a privileged white guy. Really, at the end of the day, I you know I live in Calgary. I had some family kind of helping me out with, with some of the things. And um, for me to get ID, it like the, the stress of it almost broke me. I was so, and like, I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I got it good relative to what the vast majority of the people were talking about right mm -hmm. now, dude. And I was yeah. like, as a matter of fact, the last real anxiety attack I had with my trauma, like my PTSD was that day. I like, I broke, it was like, what the fuck? Right. I was so frustrated mm -hmm. by it all. I can't imagine going into that without, the help of family, you know, and a place yep. to live for two weeks while I sort it out and, and all the things, right? Like, I just can't imagine how, how hard that's going to be on somebody. So I think what they're doing, that, that fundraiser is just wonderful, right? And a really good way. And I, I can't I love wait it. to see when, some of the results. When people yeah. tell me like, oh, they can just go into the shelter. I'm like, have you seen shelters? Have you seen like <laughs> yeah. what it's like to sleep in a shelter? Like, yeah, yeah. So I wouldn't like, it'd be a great you opportunity know. to see that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah like yeah. I, I wouldn't even stay in there. Like I'd, I'd yeah. sleep on the street than like a shelter, you know, because it's, yeah. it's yeah. awful. It's like bed bugs everywhere. And yeah. it's, it's inhumane to just expect people to just be yeah. in shelters. Because honestly, like I wouldn't even sleep a night on one of those shelters. So yeah. Yeah, right. So, Devin, um, were you going to say something? Because I did want to yeah. say something else, but you go. I was going to say something, but it, it was more just confirmation of what, what you all said. It's like, uh, you know, people going to treatment for, you know, whatever, six months or a year, and then having those resources when they come out. Because again, you're never going to overcome a lifelong journey of addiction and trauma in, in like 30 days of treatment or 60 days nope. of treatment. It's just not feasible, right? Like, Sure, that yeah. works for people, you know, and never want to like gauging addiction, but like people at like the beginning of their addiction, you know, can go to treatment for 30 days and, and learn from it and do whatever. But again, people in the grips of addiction aren't going to go to treatment for 30 days, be forced back to the downtown east side and be successful. It is. No, it's no. like everything needs to go into it. Everything from like long term treatment to to, again, the resources when you come out. 
Yeah. So I have yeah. a I have a patient in the hospital right now, just as like a, a, a an example. Um, and this is, you know, he's about close to 60 years old, indigenous man, um, lifetime of addiction struggles. Um, he came in because there had been some acute stressors that led to some suicidality. But anyways, he came in and I would say probably within a week or week to 10 days, like, you know, he sort of calmed down. The suicidality went away. Now, I could have discharged him. He's saying the right things. He's not going to hurt himself. He's not going to hurt anybody else. It's like, great, discharge. See you later. Um I started talking to him about his substance use, what his goals were. And I said, like, where are you going to go? Like, you know, I can let you leave. Where are you going to go? And he's like, well, you know, like back to the streets every now and then a shelter. Um, he had, this man had not had an ID for 10 years. So I said to him, I'm like, so, you know, have you been able to like get a, get an apartment or rent a room somewhere? And it's like, well, no, it's like, it's really hard when you don't have ID. So he's got no ID for a decade. Yeah. You know, like he can't, he can't get a place to stay. He can't get any kind of even like a part-time job. Like these things are just like off the table for him. So I said to him, if you stay here, we'll get Jeremy, who's my social worker, who is the best social worker I've ever worked with. I'll get Jeremy on board. And why don't we do this? And so then he's like, I said, can I get the addictions team involved in the hospital? He's like, okay. So now he's been in hospital with me for going on three months. He's voluntary now. It wasn't in the beginning. Um, he's working with the addiction team who are seeing him three times a week. He picked up his ID two weeks ago for the first time in 10 years. We're looking at housing options for him to go. He's been sober this entire time. He now has off units. He goes outside. He goes on passes. He's not going out and using. But I feel like in the beginning, if I had said to him, yeah, I'll just discharge you, he would have literally just felt like, you know what, this is this is it for me. Like, I don't get more than this. Like, Yep, yeah. discharge me and I'll go to the shelter. And when you put it and say, this is the alternative option, we can do this stuff for you. He chose that, you know? That's and so amazing. again, I feel like there's a lot of people in a place like downtown Eastside Vancouver, who I think are there because they don't believe there's an alternative for them beyond yeah, harm reduction. I, like, I, I, I've seen that there's a lot of learned helplessness that I really like to talk about this to everyone I've seen. The victims of trauma. I also have a lot of trauma when I was uh, growing up. But what I see from people in the downtown east side is basically when they're using, they usually like to talk a lot, and I there's a lot of talking to do over there. And oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I've watched uh, some of your, your your social media stuff there, your posts. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's what, a lot what is of that talking. called again? Sorry uh, for the listeners if solace you want to check that out. In the alleys, solace so, in the alleys, as in solace yeah. like wisdom or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, That's something to check out, right? Yeah. There's some short interviews with uh with people in the alleys, and yeah, they like to talk. Eh? Yeah. And where <laughs> where is this? Uh, is this like Instagram. on Facebook or Instagram? Yeah. Uh, well, I uploaded uh, I upload them on Instagram, and they're like YouTube. <laughs> so like basically, some people saying like, oh well, I I got introduced to cocaine when I was a crack cocaine when I was eight years old or things like that. Basically saying that there's a lot of reason why people are addicted to what they're addicted to. And there is this learned helplessness that sort of uh, perpetuated over the years that victims of uh, addiction, they, they see that, oh, the system worked against me again and again and again. Why do I even bother to try? Mm -hmm. And I think there is a space for there's, there's a, a reason for self-determination, promoting self-determination and basically giving them, hey, what about if you choose just a little bit 
a little bit better this time. It just, 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 just today, just this time that you choose to use a clean syringe and, and just like incremental, like really slow, but just let them kind of build up into that, um, into that, uh, eventual goal of choosing whatever very good for themselves. So, um, that's my favorite strategy, um, yeah. to, so that they don't feel like they're helpless. And then, that's uh, definitely a workable strategy. Um, Devin, Devin, what were you going to say? There's something I wanted to go on about, but you, you were about to jump in. I don't remember. Or... I don't think I had anything. <laughs> Must have been a lie. No, I'm just enjoying I mean, one the of the things. One the of the things, Devin, that Devin said earlier, though, is you know the you're expecting an insane person to make a sane decision, mm-hmm. and I mean that's like a that's a scientific fact, though. Like if you take somebody who's active in addiction and you put them in a functional MRI machine and you look at their brain activity, their frontal lobe is shut off. Yeah. Okay, your frontal yeah. lobe is where you plan, you consider consequences, you think about the fact that you know you you care about yourself, that you love your mom, you love like whatever, you you love your life. It's literally not functional. And so that's yeah. where for me, that's why like I'm I am pro mandated treatment in certain scenarios. Um yeah. because it's the equivalent, like, and yes, I'm gonna say this and it's gonna sound extreme, and I mean for it to sound extreme because to make people think about that side of it. But if you had somebody who had mental retardation, and that is still a term, you know, intellectual disability, low IQ, call it what you want. If you had somebody like that and they were like, Well, I'm gonna go sit in the middle of the Deerfoot Highway and just see what happens. As society, would we stand back and go, okay, well, that's your choice. Go for it. Or if you had a three-year-old, would you do that with a three-year-old? Okay, sure. Go sit in the middle of the highway. You know, that's what you want to do. We wouldn't. Yeah, well, that's why there's a crisis intervention, right? And I I really, um, the strategy is basically just really talk to them. Um, So I'm also in crisis intervention, basically preventing people from jumping off the bridge. And it's basically like, all right, in in the span that we're talking right now, can you put that knife away? And that span that we're talking right now, would you step away from the bridge? But it's always so tiny, just little, little, tiny, tiny, mini, minuscule steps that they can do just to make them safe. Yeah, and it's more so like a request most of the but time. But the, the highway's not a knife or anything or a bridge. The, the highway she's talking about is fentanyl. So, like, why are we just allowing people to poison themselves without intervening and, and getting them, forcing them into help? Is I think what Lisa was trying to say, like, we're not going to let somebody just go walk down the middle of a highway. We would probably put them, you know, in the psych ward to do an evaluation. But the highway is, is you know, fentanyl. Like, yeah. we're just... Right. We're not doing anything to stop people from using fentanyl. And, and, and again, and more than that, more than it's that, obviously complicated, it's, but. it's somebody who doesn't have the capacity. As you both said in different yeah. words, right? It's somebody that doesn't have the capacity to to not go on, like to, to make a good decision about sitting on that highway, yeah. right? It's, it, yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. their brain isn't working, right? So yeah. uh, that's tough, right? But then. Yeah, it is. It's um, complicated. It's, you know, because, it's. Yeah. Um. I've heard, this is what I've heard from people is saying like, well, I'd rather heroin than fentanyl. Heroin is more last lasting and fentanyl is just like, you have to shoot up every hour. It's like, I can't even keep my job, you know? And then, well, okay, well, what about like a prescribed supply? And then it's like, well, it's not the same high. And so I I, I was thinking about 
what if we're actually kind of offering a good high, but like a safe high that they, and at the same time working on the trauma and all the determinants of health and housing and paycheck and things like that, get them involved in the society. That's why I think safe supply supply is stupid. Like I I actually do think (laughs) it's stupid because for as long as opiates have been around, people have wanted the strongest opiate, you know, like even, Way back in the day in the States, in the hoods, you know, dealers would purposely overdose a group of people to get all the customers. Like people, yep. you know, that guy has the overdosing heroin. Let's go to him. So Without a doubt. Yeah, and, the reality yeah, of that and, business. Unless yeah, you're right, giving yeah. fentanyl to fentanyl addicts, they're, you know, the other stuff isn't going to be good enough. And you know what? I've noticed a big thing since like Safe Supply came out, what, in like 2020, the the market for... <clears throat> morphine and Percocet and and things like that is way bigger than it used to be. They are so readily available because people get them, sell them, and buy fentanyl. So, like, because I the guys I play sports with who aren't, you know, in recovery or addiction, they love Percocet. They love morphine. And their opportunities to buy it have have, like, tripled because there's so much more of it now. Is that though? Ah, uh, but most of those street level drugs now, unless you buy it from a pharmacy, it's probably fentanyl. Well, that's what I mean. Right? The like, pharmacy yeah, like, is giving yeah. it to a fentanyl addict as okay, safe supply, okay. and that yeah. guy is now selling it. Yeah, that's to that's other true. Other people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. because again, why why would they take their hydromorph when it's not going to do anything? They could sell the hydromorph and buy fentanyl and use the fentanyl yeah. because yeah. that's what they want. I had a conversation with one of the callers um, at NORS, um, National Overdose uh, Response Service, and she actually tells me that, hey, I haven't, like, I haven't increased my dose in a while, and she's on a safe supply, and yeah. she's like, she always have a good time. It's like, legit, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah. wow, you're, you're like, <laughs> a good dose, yeah. you know? like, Oh my god! Like I can hear it. Like she's just like, God, this is so good. And I'm just like, you do that. And I think it's like, you know, like maybe we should educate people about like, okay, how do you use in a way that is a safe and b allows you to high without like endangering you, but you get like the same kind of high. Well, that's easy. You grow up with zero trauma and zero. Um, yeah, and, genetic disposition. Well, That's she easy. she yeah. she was bad. Like she she was <laughs> yeah. like yeah. irresponsible and everything. The same decision at the time. Too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. So, and, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, but yeah, like yeah. now she never overdosed, and mm. and it's easier to sort of talk about sobriety when you are yeah. not intoxicated, like in a you know Completely. in whatever drug but, that is. Yeah. I mean, there's like a psilazine too, which is basically for horses, right? Like it's not even for humans, and. And it's so hard to talk about, like Devin said, like it's kind of hard to talk about sobriety and all these things that are good for you if you're fried. So. And now for a quick PSA brought to you by Revolution Recovery, helping men recover and become their best selves through support and treatment. They've been there and they understand. Hey everyone, this is Ryan Bathgate from Kaleidoscope Wednesdays. I wanted to bring a public service announcement to you today about Narcan, or also known as Naloxone. These kits uh, 
have saved so many lives over the years. Uh, I can attest for that. Uh, being in the industry for so long, I can tell you since we've had the opioid crisis declared in 2016, it has saved thousands of lives and I've watched it personally save hundreds of lives. These kits are small, easy to use. Uh, you can keep them in your glove box or uh, or in a cupboard in your home and you never know when somebody's gonna need them. Uh, if you have a hard time finding a Narcan kit in your area, just email us here at ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. Throw Narcan in the subject line, tell us where you are, and we'll do the legwork to find that for you. If you wanted to send me a question for my Kaleidoscope Wednesdays, again, email ashes to awesome podcast at gmail.com. We will read that question on air and I'll do my best to answer it in a comprehensive way. Uh, that's all I have for now. And uh, we'll go back to the show. Thanks for listening. Hi. So how to kind of mitigate that is it, also to, to give you either, what, what is kind yeah. of safe, you know, you're either high you or to... physically dope sick. How do you ever get the chance to talk about it? Right. So that's, um, that's so, get back yeah. to mandated treatment, right? Yeah. And this is, you know, I, this is more of a, uh, Lisa, no, wait, there's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just about, you know, this is just a personal experience story, but I remember, you know, over the past five years when my brother was not well at all, um, you know, times I would go see him and the whole purpose of going to see him, like he was not well, he, his life was falling apart and like, just like wanting so bad for him to let us help him. Like we just wanted to help him. And I would have conversations with him and I knew like, he's not even hearing me. You know what I mean? Like he'd, I'd be conversation and he'd be nodding off. His eyeballs would be going in different directions. And, and this is, and again, mandated treatment, but this is just it. Like I couldn't even have meaningful conversations with my brother. Like he was so out of it. And I remember him saying to me one day, um, this was about two years ago. I remember him saying, I wish I would get arrested because he was like, I, I can't stop. Like, I, I can't do this. And he was terrified because I said to him, but then come, like, I've always said to my brother, you can call me up at any hour. I'll come pick you up. I don't give a shit where you are. I'll come get you and we'll drive. Like, I don't care. I'll take you to the bush and tie you to a tree. Like, we'll just go. And, um, and he was terrified. And he would say to me, I wish I would get arrested because he wanted the decision taken away from him. You know, and this is a guy who had a family there saying, hey, we'll put you on a plane. We'll fly you to a resort treatment center in Thailand. We'll do whatever you need. And he was so terrified of that decision, of that journey of getting sober, that he couldn't grab onto it and wished the police would arrest him and throw him in jail. Wow. You know? Oh, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, That speaks. Well, that wraps up the whole thing. doesn't wrap anything up, so I'm sorry. It it really envelops kind of that side of the of the discussion. I'm not going to call it an argument. I'm going to call it a discussion, right? About mandated treatment. And there's so there's. You just love how I'm trying to do the dance here, idea. Yeah, it's good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, I mean, Attica, you've seen all of these different instances where these people could talk them, you know, make their own choices and, and how it's better for them to get there, without a doubt somebody choosing to go to treatment or choosing to recovery is going to be the better way 100% of the time. And then Lisa, you see patients in, in your own experience as well with your brother and that, where this just wasn't the thing that was going to happen. And of course, Devin, you as well. Right. So Lisa, you said it right. It's not an argument. It's a conversation. And there's like, there's so many 
you know, it, it all comes together. And, and I think we're all looking for the same thing at the end of the day, right? Nobody's trying to punish. Nobody's trying to, yeah. you know, make this an, a punitive thing. Yeah, it's, we all want the same you know, thing. We all want yeah, people right. to get their lives back and, and yeah, know that they're right. worth it at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. So. Actually, well, I, this is really interesting, but the the I learned so much about overdose prevention, how to reverse overdose, actually from people who are actually not sober at all. Yeah. They <laughs> might it's interesting. They would <laughs> nod off. No, seriously, like like yeah. what Lisa said, just like really nodding off and everything. Yeah. But when there's an overdose, somehow they respond better than I would. This is true. And this is true. My experience this as well. Is yeah. Just yeah. Yeah. You know, like I, I was in a safe consumption side and I was helping uh, on there and I, I just like almost got to like jab someone with a Narcan and, and, um, he was like, no, no, no. And like the stuff was like, no, no, no. What, what are you doing? Like just oxygen first and then Narcan. I'm like, right. And I'm the one sober. I'm the one sober. He just did a talk like freaking two minutes ago, but it was true. And it's just like, there's, you know. That's why I'm I'm kind of like thinking about the whole self determination thing, and it's like they actually can save people's lives like that, oh, yeah. looking like yeah, that, right. you know, yeah. and yeah. Um, learn a lot, learn yeah. a lot from There's even even their non involved like that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, and you're yeah. right because they don't they definitely people in downtown Eastside don't lack compassion, like they no. care oh, for one another. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They still feel those feelings, but I think a lot of it goes back to what you had said, where you know they just don't know any better. They don't know that they can have better you know they're just stuck yeah. in that cycle like you guys said no id you know no other options this is just this is what i am this is where i am there's yeah. a lot of education to be done uh i remember putting an oximeter so yeah oximeter just like is, is there oh I, I put it in the washroom but yeah it's just like a little device uh measuring your um oxygen saturation right so I remember someone's like, really, I was so worried. Like he didn't, he didn't even like, you know, he's just like on the floor and like, he, he, he's just so, he, he looked pretty awful. And I, I want to put a, an oximeter on him. So I kind of like, Shh, it's okay. It's okay. You're safe. You're safe with me. And I'll put an oximeter and he just doesn't know. He's like flinch. He's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> and then um, I was like, no, no, it's an oximeter. Just measure your oxygen. And he's like, no, no, you're taking high away from me. I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah. Like, no, you're taking the dopamine away from me. No, like, doing it. And then, and then he was like, you're taking a high away from me. I'm like, you know what? That would be so nice if I can just oximeter people and just take the high from them, and I get high. You yeah, know, no you know how but, nice yeah. would that be? I so, would not have to, to buy me, them at all. To me, Attica, that but is a so perfect example, a of, right? That's a perfect example of somebody education, who's just yeah. not thinking. Right, like that's not yeah. a sane thing to think. It's not a thing to, to say. So how can you expect that person to make a sane decision about their well-being? Right, like that's a, that's a really good example. You're kind of making a point there for Devin, right? You no, know, yeah, most points that. go for Devin, but um, <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, a lot just of this. Yeah. 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 Say yeah, something just about the education, no. right? No, so. I, a lot. A lot of this conversation again is based on the downtown east side. How many people do you think are down there? Uh, I, I wonder thousands, how many yeah. you're down there. How many do you think? Ten thousand? Oh, oh, close. I would say like six thousand, something like that. Yeah. So in Canada, there's like four million people that struggle with addiction. So again, we're just talking about like a small 
tiny percentage of the yeah. addicted mentally the extreme Ill. cases right yeah totally so like all these harsh extremes that we need to go to on the downtown east side shouldn't be used for other people struggling with addiction that's so kind of switch topics that's my struggle with harm reduction and i again i'm not opposed to harm reduction but we in bc have done harm reduction for 20 years and it's created more addiction problems than it has helped for sure because people who have you know i hate to say it but again a minor opiate addiction are now addicted to methadone when they just didn't have to be right so so that's my struggle with with harm reduction you know there's a group, there's a percentage of, of the addicted population that harm reduction is the best option. But there's also a mass percentage of people that shouldn't do harm reduction. That should, our focus should be on abstinence. Because again, if we're just going to talk about the downtown east side, I'm not going to argue the point of abstinence is the answer. I don't think it is. Yeah. But again, but I just, I I just Googled, about- there's like 5 million people who are addicted in Canada. So... But the, the ten thousand, it you know because again in BC we've always done harm reduction. The, the funding, the funding. Sorry, the funding has never really gone to addiction treatment because there's privatized treatment in BC, and there's everybody else who gets paid fucking dirt money to help people. So, I mean, again, look at Alberta. They made all their private treatment centers public treatment centers, and their overdose numbers went way down. I think they've kind of gone up a little bit, but they did have success with it. So their primary focus wasn't safe supply. It wasn't harm reduction. Their primary focus was treatment and they had success. In BC, we just, we have never done that. We've never gone like, why don't we make treatment centers free for everybody? We just don't. I think treatment should be free, yes. Um, Absolutely. And when I talk about the harm reduction, I actually was talking about the system, medical reviews, the randomized trials, which basically from parts of the world. It's not yeah. just downtown east side. Um, and in regards to the numbers of deaths, there were definitely way more deaths before naloxone was actually free. Oh, for sure. So, there, yeah, you can't argue with Narcan. No, nope. no, yeah. anybody does, I would tell no. them to shut up. And that's basically harm reduction yeah. because yeah. you're <laughs> essentially saving lives with a Narcan. And I remember it's... buying 50 bucks for, for a kit and I was in high school. I was like, <laughs> the heck is this? You know, so like, yeah, there were like lots of deaths and people died like flies because it was the first few days when Fenton was new. So, yeah, so well, I mean, I think yeah. we're saying... Narcan harm reduction, yeah. not so much, but. Well, it's um, definitely one of the aspects of harm reduction, right? It's I mean, a tool, it's, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah, but it's doubt. not, yeah. Well, harm reduction is also about the clean syringe, and we had uh, an overwhelming number of HIV prevalence before yeah, clean syringe was introduced. Having a clean syringe should not be a crime, and it's better to have a clean syringe than using dirty syringe to prevent you from having HIV and things yeah, like that. 100%. And that's basically harm reduction as well. So, all right, you can use drugs and that's bad. And we all agree that drugs are bad. But an incremental change is using a clean needle instead of a dirty needle. Absolutely. Incremental. Yeah. Yeah. Huge, huge. And it's super needed. And it is a very important thing. Absolutely. And I guess for me, yes, clean needle better than dirty needle. But holistic, all-round support and treatment and abstinence and recovery beats the clean needle that's the next step for me 
You know what I mean? So you said something, Lisa, a long time ago about harm reduction that really um, will help me to to kind of move to that side as well or, or to support it more. When you said that to you, harm reduction was a an, an opportunity for connection with people mm-hmm. that are yeah. that are having a rough go, right? Yeah. And and I think and that that's, was... that that's that validates harm reduction in, onto itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for that guys. to me is like, like the there. biggest yeah. piece is that well, one is keep, is keeping them alive, it's keeping them from you know contracting deadly viruses so that if they do want to become alive or become sober one day that they're not going to die of of AIDS. Um, But I think, yeah, a huge part of it is that for like, it's like people like Attica who are out there doing this harm reduction work, who are speaking to individuals who maybe have no one else who seems to care about them and to remind them that there is help available. And if you want to take the next steps, we can talk about what that looks like. And, you know, building that rapport, I think that that increases the chance that someday somebody takes those next steps. Absolutely. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Love and compassion. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said to this multiple people, like, okay, why do you even bother about learning how to reverse overdose? So they are homeless. So what if you're like coming over there, you smell like this really awful infection from their feet. But it's like when when I reverse an overdose, especially when I'm just alone and it's really stressful, you see someone overdosing in front of you and I see them coming back alive and it's kind of like, Oh my God. Hello. It's like a rebirth, you know, like, like this is a new life for you. This is like a chance for you to like get sober. And I've, Mm. and I've seen people actually like old and that's the first thank you I received. I usually there's no thank you. You don't get many thank you. They're pretty angry (laughs) rebirths. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll speak to something that, that Attica, you and I spoke about in, in our episode there in, in 151. The few times, and I know we are near the exposure that any of you would have been around. Well, I, I can't speak for anybody, but the few times that I've had to Narcan and help somebody, there's never a thank you. It's a sorry. And that is fucked to me. That is fucked. That is, that's a mindset that is terrible. Right? That speaks to shame. I always felt. Right? Yeah. yeah. They're right? so embarrassed about, like, I, don't, I don't need a thank you. I don't need that at all. But like, you should be thankful to be alive. That should be your first yeah. thing, not being sorry for making somebody save your fucking life, mm-hmm. right? Like, I actually, and, no. that's, and that's the whole mindset around addiction. Addiction. That, yeah, that's I really remember sad this thing. one person who is so old and mm-hmm. um, a regular, and I remember he basically two months ago he overdosed, and it was like at the um, curb of the street, like curb of the street, and I ran like across not, not ran like swam okay and, <laughs> and um and then he basically said thank you and he was crying so much and and usually when someone is old i'm like oh gosh you know like I, I really want you to kind of be better you know like i really want you to be better but sometimes like saving the their their lives is actually all it takes like he didn't know yeah. my name i know yeah. him but he didn't know my name and now he's actually in recovery He's like, wow. that's it. That, that's you know, a I was, I was is, putting right? a you know, young yep. woman saving my lives, my life, and my life was almost like done. And basically, that's like his wake up call. Like, okay, I'm recovering yeah. now, and he's really and I, old. And I wish he there was more family, of that. So. Yeah, that's so amazing. Right. And I wish there was more of that because I definitely got a whole lot more fuck yous than I did. I'm sorry or thank yous or anything. Wouldn't it be like, that would be the most amazing thing is like you can Narcan somebody and they were grateful for their life back. And then they wanted help. 
because that's a uh, great, that's an awesome story that I got. Yeah. yeah, it's yeah, fine it really though. Is. It's like it's fine. Oh, like go, go be yeah. mad, you know. Go yeah. be mad, but at least you're <laughs> yeah, totally. well. Fuck you. Yeah. You're you're yeah. alive, you know. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. Yeah. Maybe sober yeah. is like an, an option yeah. right now, you know. Yeah. yeah. So and I understand the anger because getting instantly dope sick is not a good time. So no, no. But it's not no, only no. that. Like they they didn't know they OD. No, of them, I know. They're super. I, yeah. Most of them right? just wake up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's just they wake up like. Who the heck is she? You and of course, know? Yeah, you know, my experience, my experience, like, and I'm hey, sure it's dude, similar. You had a bad dope. Hey, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. what's going on? Yeah. In my experience, they almost always ask for who right away or another shot or whatever, right? And it's like, yeah. fuck. You yeah, know, get out of sickness. Yeah. I yeah, always tell know, them, hey, yeah, I don't want to yeah. narc on you, okay? Like, yeah. it's an N word. Narc oh, yeah. is an N word over there. Like, I always, yeah, like, yeah. dude, I don't want to mm-hmm. narc on you. Like, you I need know. to, you need to, like, yeah. I always like oxygen. If you want to wake somebody up that's then... nodding out, say narc yeah. right? Yeah, you just threaten them with narc. Don't do that. You got to bring it up and they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. I'm doing jumping jacks now. Watch me go, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, I always tell them, like, hey, I didn't want to narc on you, but you were like, really really this is like a bad dope okay bad uh, dope i'm uh, so sorry like i didn't want to kill your high but yeah, yeah. Oh, oh wow this conversation could go on forever guys um i know i'm really glad i i think I, I, there's a lot of trepidation for me coming into this episode um just to make sure i had the right people right because this can this could be a very emotional topic for people right so right I, i'm glad well, that some we do people have are that we so close-minded right they they mm-hmm. are they think that the what they believe is the right way. When again, in actuality, yeah. we may have a different thought process on how to get where we want to get people, but we all want the same thing. We want to show Absolutely. love and compassion. We want people to get their lives back. We, you know, we, we, we love people. We want people to get healthy. Just because we take a different route to get there, it, it yeah. doesn't mean one's right or one's wrong. Like no. I said, I, I have my struggles with the, the harm reduction because it's such a blanket thing when it just doesn't need to be. So but, I think, Words are important. Our wording is important with aspects of harm reduction, right? Because some of it is yeah. necessary and, and absolutely wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. Dude, 100%. Right? So, so when you, we have to be mindful. So, so when you say I have a problem with harm reduction, you're going to get phone calls and emails, yeah. right? Because you, said, because you said that, right? <laughs> which I'm, I'm just, I'm just uh, saying, right? But, yeah. but when there's aspects of harm reduction that you're not okay with, that's yeah, a different, 100%. that's a totally and, different and like message, said, right? You know? So many people, you know, they didn't expect, this is like, you know, pre- fentanyl but so many people didn't need to be put on methadone they just yeah. didn't you know they they could have gone through you know a week in detox and then never was never addicted to you know a pharmaceutical but yeah. because we've yeah. just done harm reduction every you could again you could just walk into the doctor and be like you know i'm addicted to opiates and they're like well here's a prescription for methadone See, and- Okay, and, and that's in British Columbia. In Alberta, how is it? Because I know in, in Saskatchewan, it's actually quite hard to get on, like because there's only like three doctors in the whole damn province or something that that were able to prescribe. So it's actually, it's actually quite a process to get there, right? So how is it in Alberta? Is that, how easy is it to... I think it's pretty easy, you know? And I actually yeah. find okay. that... Um, and I mean, I work in the hospital. I don't work in the community. And I used to work at an opioid dependency program doing psychiatric assessments, but it's been a few years since I did that now. But I find that um, that they're pretty lenient with giving it. Um, now, granted, all the patients I'm seeing, okay. you know, have been drug tested. We've confirmed that they're actually, they do have opiates in their system. But it's not uncommon for me to have to like, 
discuss the case with the addiction doc who's doing the prescribing and be like, look, like every time I try to go see this person, I like, they're, they're like snowed, like they're fast asleep. Like I'm constantly having to wake them up. Like, should we be reassessing their dose or should we split their dose? So they're getting some in the morning and some in the night or whatever. But I think, and I think it is rooted in harm reduction. I think they're like, well, we would rather make them a little bit sleepy, um, especially in the early days than have them walk out and go use which I also don't disagree with. Like, I, I think yep. there is a time where it's, you know, especially in the early days, like, yeah, I'd rather you sleep, you sleep and uh, <laughs> stay off yep. fentanyl. And I'm okay with that right now. But no, I don't think it's hard. And like, you can walk into the opioid dependency program in Calgary any day. You don't need an appointment. You don't need a referral. You will be seen. You can get a prescription. Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot easier than it used to be. You know, I remember my brother having to drive like five hours to find a physician who could prescribe him Suboxone okay. um, because he couldn't find anybody. You know, this was when he lived up in Grand Prairie and he had mm-hmm. used to have to drive to Red Deer because he couldn't wow. find a doctor Jesus, who could prescribe. Yeah, hey. <laughs> and he used to and do this so- with his wife and his kids. You know, which is such and, shit. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Suboxone is now the easiest thing to get. It is yeah. by far the easiest. Like, I think yeah. almost every general doctor can write a prescription for Suboxone. It's so easy. Yeah. And it should be because that, you know, that's a good option. Yeah. Yeah. So, also, yeah, you don't need a special license to prescribe Suboxone no. anymore. You used to. You used to have to take a course yeah. and whatever, and you yeah. don't need to do that anymore, no. um, and, which and, I, well, and, I'm, I'm good with. That's just relative to the, to the scope of the problem, right? I mean, Jesus, if you made it hard, right? there's so much yeah. of it. I, I, yeah. Yeah. For myself, I guess none of you would have been, yeah, that you wouldn't have had those experiences because, Devin, you've been sober for, what, 20 years or something now? Yeah, something 18. Like, yeah. 18. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, of course, 18. The, the two of you have never had that journey. Um, for myself, what happened with fentanyl, it was the craziest thing. Five years ago, six years ago? So probably eight years ago in BC, right? Because you guys are ahead of us a little bit that way. But there was ups and downs, right? As a cocaine user, crack user, I had literally never seen heroin in 20 some odd years of being very heavily in the business. I had never seen heroin. I wouldn't even talk to people. like Not because I wouldn't, but because you would never have occasion to talk to somebody that was using heroin or even um, um, hydromorph when it became, you know, the beads and all that. There were two very different worlds cocaine like ups and downs and then something happened um when fentanyl came around it was you know, the covid thing of course was affecting the drug market so there's all sorts of different theories on it but all of a sudden like in what seemed like two months the entire where i was in regina the entire city was on fentanyl it, it just swept through and yeah. people that it's were doing swept. coke were now doing fentanyl and it was like yeah. it was this crazy thing and now you have fentanyl and meth together which you've all heard me say before it's it's perfect storm you know, one yeah. drug people do anything for and another drug keep them awake two weeks at a time doing it. It's, it's created this horrible shit life out there. It's, the violence is out of control and, and, and all the things. That we, of course, we can all see that in the news. But um, Fentanyl is no. not really long lasting. So no. that's why they no, but, like to. But yeah, I know. So you have one drug that they'll do anything for. That's the one. Right. And then you have meth. Keep them awake for two weeks doing it. Right. So like, that's where meth. the problem comes in. Meth. Right. So you combine it's the two drugs together. It's a money maker. It's a it's a hell out there now, right? It's, it's the level of violence has gone through the roof. That's where all my traumas come from, anyway. You know, um, yeah. it, it's a totally different landscape than it ever was, right? And let's jump into a crazy another topic now because I'm on a rant. Um, <laughs> so the first time I went, <laughs> the first time I went, I to, like uh, your rants. 
went yeah. to a um a twelve step like an AA instead of NA because where I was at the time they didn't have seven days a week so I I, I tried going to the AA for the couple of days that that they didn't have an NA meeting and it was like I, I looked around and I went this is I feel like I'm at a swap meet with my grandpa right now like there's a bunch of like ninety year olds in here and I thought not one of you can relate to what's going on in the world right now not one of you because it's, it's changed so drastically right so if you I'll say it if you've been sober for five years you really don't you haven't lived it yet. In your industries, it's different because you guys are around it all the time, right? So it's, it's you know, um, you get to see the effects of and, and quite often, you know, experience the shit that goes alongside it, right? But um, for me, when I walked into an NEA meeting, it was like, I can't, like, I don't relate to any of you here, right? Because yeah. the, the world Which has changed so much. Which is too bad because, at, well, at you the know? end of the day, addiction is addiction. It doesn't matter if it's sex, gambling, fentanyl, cocaine. Addiction You're right. is yeah. addiction. I understand 100%. that now with the yeah. benefit of hindsight. But at and, the time. You know, a ton more knowledge, right? But yeah. at the time, it was like, yeah, no, I'm just going to wait it out for NA tomorrow. I'm not going to bother with this today, <laughs> right? You know, yeah. And, and even then, most of the people in that room had been sober for so long that it's like, fuck, you don't even see what's going on. Like, you have no idea. Yeah, right? Totally. I know. I, I, I talked to some of the people that, um, you know, like the supervisors and things like that, like the higher ups, they usually been sober for a long time. And they, they were there when Fent first came out. And they're like, Wow, like I'm so happy I was an addict like a long time ago rather than Fuck yeah, right? yeah. and it happened so, overnight, that's yeah. right? Like, yeah. yeah, 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 it was. And it was just like I remember just like everyone like it's so easy to see that people were turning blue. And I was in high school and I just like, oh my goodness. And it cost me like fifty bucks to like save a person's life I was in so high school. Isn't that, you know? so isn't that crazy, like, right? And, you think about, yeah. oh my, I guess, and, and people were scared and I remember oh. that. So now people like, <sighs> if, if I reverse an overdose, people are like, no, 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 I don't want to go to the hospital. Mm -mm. You know, yeah. but back then people would, they were yeah. so scared. They're scared shitless because what is this? Like, like <clears throat> overdose were like scared. went up after, after, yeah. <laughs> after fentanyl. So. Yeah. Yeah. But they weren't, yeah. they weren't that scared. They were excited. And that's yeah. just what it is. That's the way it's always been with opiate. Whatever is yeah. the strongest opiate is going to be the most popular. It's just what it is. It's not going to, that will never change. I think she meant scared so, after the overdose yeah. as opposed yeah, yeah, to. Yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, yeah. not scared of the drug itself. Right? People as a right, whole, right. like addiction yeah. as a whole, they weren't scared. They were, it was an yeah. exciting time. Now yeah. I'm talking yeah. about like the. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Um, well, again, we could go on for a long time here. I, I think it's a good time to kind of wrap up the episode though. Um, this conversation's not over either, I would say, you know, most certainly. <laughs> you guys are both great guests and, and welcome on the show anytime. I'll probably be asking you in the near future again, I'm sure, right? So, and Lisa, of course, every week you are wonderful. So, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, it's funny, Lisa, I, I, I'm going to toot your horn for a second. I talk about you often when I'm describing the show to people. And I got to tell you, we are blessed that you donate your time to us the way that you do and yeah. that you're so regular about it. And, and we are very, very lucky, very, Absolutely. very lucky, you know, and thank you. You're very welcome. I, um, I've said this before, Chuck, but for me, like, I look forward to this every week. Um, you know, I feel like this is, this is one part of my week that I feel like is for me, you know, like I'm busy with work. I'm busy being a mom. Um, and I like, I'm so thankful for you guys. And I've said many times, you know, I wish that I had known a community like this 20 years ago. Like I know how much it would have helped me and it would have helped my family and by extension, maybe help my brother. Um, yeah. But so I just think about the people out there who are still 
you know, just needing that support. And I have no doubt that this show can help so many people. So I'm glad to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your mom tell you that I talked to her? <laughs> she did. She told me that you had messaged, but I wasn't, I didn't get any details. I was like, who is this person? Who are, who are you? And I, had a, <laughs> so through the Chuck LaFlange Facebook profile, I, I just invite everybody to be my friend, right? Because it's about exposure right. and all that. And I invited your mom. I didn't even realize it. So then she said hi to me. <laughs> Right. And I was like, who the fuck is this? Right. <laughs> I had no idea. I hope right? you said it like that too. I did not say yeah. it like yeah. that. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> and I'm really glad I didn't when I figured out who it was. Right. But so we had a bit of a conversation there. I invited her to come on the show eventually. So, you know, maybe one of these days she'll jump in for a family yeah. Friday and, you know, we'll get, yeah. to get her experience as well. Um, Attica, you've got the J initiative. That's your nonprofit. You've got mm-hmm. J Healthcare Initiative. J Healthcare yeah. Initiative. Okay. Yeah. Um, and the website for that is J Initiative, though, isn't it? J Initiative.org. Yeah, dot org. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. J Initiative.org. Okay. Um, Solace in the Alleys. How, how are people going to find that? Again, I'll put this all in the show notes, but we got to have it said, right? Mm, the Instagram, Solace in the Alleys. Okay, okay. I actually been like kind of pausing that project, but excited to. There's still also a ton of content there to look at, though. So, and I know I watched oh a bunch of it there that day. It was yeah, it's pretty cool. It's just really people cool. It leaves me inspired for. We have, you know, on the 31st coming up here is a you know, National Overdose Awareness Day. Um, I would, it leaves me inspired about what I'd like to do downtown Calgary. So, uh, you know, and maybe get out there and, and have some of those similar conversations, right? Um, yeah. So. Lisa, I hope you got the 31st off because that's definitely something we want to do here in Calgary. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, I'll make um, it, I'll make it work. I'll join you yeah. for anything. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Um, and on that note, hey, to the listeners, guys, it is National Overdose Awareness. Uh, you know, the purple ribbons, purple ribbons are there for August 31st. Um, pay attention, you know, um, I don't know, help out with a cause somewhere in your community. Do something, at least just pay attention, you know, if nothing else. The people we lose are so much more than a statistic or how they passed. So, you know, we, we got to keep that in mind and we got to keep doing what we can do to spread that message. So, yeah. Um, overdose, or, I'm sorry, Memorial Mondays are back. I took a bit of a, uh, a break from doing them, um, partially because we're into video episodes now, so it kind of changes the dynamic how to do that. Also because of the time that goes into video, right? I've, we're only doing three episodes a week now, and I have spent more time editing than, than ever before. Right. So it's, uh, I, not a week's gone by. I haven't had to pull an all nighter since we got into video. So, um, doing the six episodes a week was just simply not sustainable. Um, I'm glad that they're back now. So, so pay attention. They'll be about every third week is what we're kind of doing that way. Um, kind of rotating through the, through the other aspects of the show week to week. Uh, we did just put one out this last Monday. They will continue to come out. So, um, that brings us to my favorite part of the show. That's the daily gratitudes. Today's Daily Gratitudes are brought to you by Yacha Treatment Centers in Phuket, Thailand. They are a clinic run by clinicians, not a business run by businessmen. And they know that where addiction is the smoke, trauma is the fire. Learn more at yachacenters.com. That's Y-A-T-R-A-C-E-N-T-R-E.com. And now here's your Daily Gratitudes. Devin, what you got? You got a couple for us today? Uh, well, I'm just always forever grateful for the guys that uh, I work with. Um, you know, the clients that are in the house that, uh, is, and will always be my happy place. So I'm grateful for all of them. Yeah. 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 Great. Great. Attica, what do you got? I'm grateful that I have the opportunity to talk to all of you this morning. (laughs) Ah, (laughs) 
<laughs> and we are as well. That's so cheesy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing about daily gratitude. Often I have a guest on and they're trying to come up with these grandiose kind of things they should be grateful for. And, you know, sometimes it's for a cup of coffee and sometimes it's for a conversation. And this thing about daily gratitude is just find something to be grateful for, right? So. Oh, and yeah. I'm going to go to the hood. Today, yeah. so oh yay, see, that's, yeah, the downtown oh, east side, my my <laughs> folks, yeah. There you go, your people, eh? Okay, uh, Lisa, you got a couple for us. I know what your first one is, so what's it? What do you got? <laughs> always, always the same. Yeah. My yeah. brother is about nine days shy of five months sober right now. Um, Amen. Yeah. And I am grateful for my brother, um, mm-hmm. for him fighting. That's what I'm grateful for because I know it's not easy. And he's fighting and he's trying and yeah, that's what I'm grateful for. There's nothing huh. better in my life than when my brother's well. Hmm. Jesus, almost made it through mm-hmm. an episode, you fucker. Aww, <laughs> it's not an episode yeah. if you don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sakes. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh. Um, and I'm grateful um, for all of you, for sure, most certainly. Um, you know, the other day, I uh, as I was building the new website, oh yeah, listeners, check that out too, uh, uh, a2apodcast.com, that's a number two, a podcast. I was building those profile pages, and of course, all, all of you guys are on it, right? So I, I kind of took this screenshot of these profile pages, and, and I was looking at it and going, holy shit, like where the show started and where it's at now, and I'm looking at all of you and, and, and the other, my, my other co-hosts, and I was just completely awestruck by where this show has come to from where it started. And I could not be more great. Right. So, and, um, the final gratitude goes to the listeners, always to you guys, listeners. If you are on Spotify, drop a comment. If you are on, uh, Apple, do the review and the ratings process, please. Uh, at wherever you are, if you're seeing the logo, uh, we're on all the social medias, uh, drop a like, a comment, do whatever you can, please. Anytime you do any one of these things, you are getting me a little bit closer to living my best life. My best life is to make a humble living, spreading the message. The message is this. If you are in active addiction right now, today could be the day. Today could be the day to start that lifelong journey. Reach out to a friend. Reach out to a family member. Call into detox. Go to a meeting. Do whatever the hell you need to do because it is so much better than the alternative. And if you are the loved one of somebody who's suffering an addiction right now, just taking the time to listen to our show. And for that, I'm very, very grateful. If you just take one more minute, Text that person, let them know they are loved. Use the words. You are you loved. Are loved. Perfect. That little glimmer of hope just might be the thing that brings them back.
to go because when I die I'll be happier in another life I'll be a ladybug soaring through the sky please search for me please find me Spread my wings and fly